Hello and welcome to the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. My name is Fran Cecilia, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Amanda Ewan. 24 million. That is the number of men, women, and children in need of humanitarian assistance in Yemen. Since the conflict started in 2015, Yemen has quickly become one of the most unforgiving places to be a child in the world. 10.2 million children don't have basic health care. 7.8 million children don't have access to education. 12 million children are in need of humanitarian assistance. And tens of thousands of children have been forcibly recruited to fight in the country's civil war. In order to bring light to what is happening in Yemen and to highlight how the world can help the country, we're joined today on the podcast by Dr. Sharon Barkey. Dr. Sharon Varkey assumed the role of UNICEF Yemen representative in July 2020. Dr. Varkey has more than 16 years of experience of leading emergency and development programs at a national and international level. His work has taken him to a variety of settings, including India, Ethiopia, Uganda, Iraq, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, and Yemen. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. Thank you so much, Dr. Varkey, for joining us today. Thank you, and uh, it's a pleasure to join, and thank you for having me. So let's jump right into it. Um, The UN has recognized that Yemen is currently facing the largest humanitarian disaster in the world. Can you give our listeners a broad overview of why Yemen is in the position that it is now and how it got there? So it is important to note that Yemen was the poorest country in the region, even before the conflict escalated in 2015. There were many regions of the country which suffered from chronic underdevelopment, decades of political unrest, drought. Now, after five years since the conflict escalated in 2015, due to a combination of the conflict as well as pre-existing underdevelopment, Yemen today, because of a combination of all these factors, is the largest humanitarian situation globally. There are 24 million people out of a total population of approximately 30 million in need of humanitarian assistance, which is almost 80% of the population. There is no other place in the world today, no other country in the world, which has a larger population of people depending on humanitarian assistance. But another striking feature is actually the severity. Almost half, 50% of the population, suffers from acute vulnerability, which means that they depend on the continued delivery of humanitarian services for their very day-to-day survival. And what is particularly heart-wrenching is the situation of children. The children of Yemen are truly struggling. Right now, as we speak, almost four in every five children are in desperate need of aid. Tens of thousands of children have died, both as a direct result of the fighting and from indirect causes like disease and malnutrition. More than 3.6 million people, which include 1.7 million children, have been forced to flee their homes and are living in very difficult conditions in camps or improvised settings across the country. So in summary, uh, 
today one can conclude that Yemen is truly the worst place in the world to be a child. There has been a lot of conversation about how this conflict is man-made. Um, and you, but you also mentioned that Yemen faced a lot of challenges previous to 2015. Can you talk about how the conflict has compounded existing, the existing crises within the region um, and how the conflict has directly impacted um, people within Yemen? So the conflict escalated in 2015. It caused mass displacement. And like in every conflict, the economy was also impacted and started collapsing. Thousands lost their livelihood. Many people lost their lives or have been injured. But what is truly worrying is the damage to systems which provide social services. Only half of the health facilities today are functioning. Vital water and sanitation infrastructure have been impacted. This education of children has been affected. Many of these factors have contributed to one of the world's largest cholera outbreaks Yemen faced over the last two years. More than half of the population faces severe food insecurity. 80% of the families in Yemen today are in debt. So all in all, the conflict, along with the underlying deprivations, have created a very worrying situation. Yemenis have been facing challenges since many decades, and they are a resilient people. But we are very worried that they are really at the brink today. They really have no more time. And the world really needs to do everything possible to alleviate the suffering of the Yemeni people. And Dr. Varki, having worked in Yemen through UNICEF, what are, in your opinion, the biggest crises, not only currently facing the country, but also um, children and women and vulnerable populations? So as I was saying, the conflict has affected people immensely. Many people have been directly impacted by the conflict, but the challenges faced by the social service systems have impacted many more people. The food insecurity situation is particularly worrying. And this is a huge crisis. And this has been caused by a combination of factors. Uh, the conflict has decreased economic activity and the GDP has been contracting consistently. Poverty has increased. Foreign remittances, which are a main source of survival of Yemenis, have decreased by more than 70% over the last year. The Yemeni rial, the local currency, has depreciated dramatically, leading to huge inflation in price of food. Food shortages have also been caused by the decrease in importation of staples such as wheat, as well as challenges in the importation of fuel, which has further affected a rise in prices. 
There has also been a fall in agricultural productivity. But the question is really the impact on children. And children continue to carry the heaviest burden of this crisis. Nowhere is safe for Yemen's children today. Almost 4.3 million children are in direct danger due to a wide range of threats, from death and injury attacks to being forced to take part in the fighting. Since March 2015, more than 3,000 children have been killed. More than 5,500 children have been injured and more than and about 3,500 children have been recruited into the fighting. The actual numbers will be much higher. These are only the numbers we have been able to verify. But truly, beyond the bullets and bombs, there are other consequences of the conflict, which continue to put children's welfare at great risk. Poverty pulls children out of school and is pushing them into workforce or early marriage. Many children in Yemen are ending up homeless, sleeping hungry, living on the streets where there are huge risk of discrimination and abuse. We are now facing the COVID-19 crisis, but even before the COVID-19 outbreak, almost 2 million children were out of school. Today, we know that if schools remain closed around the country, an additional 5.8 million children will lose their opportunity for education. Tens of thousands of children a year die from preventable causes in Yemen, like diarrhea and respiratory tract infections. Vaccine preventable diseases, such as diphtheria and measles, have resurged in waves. And of course, one of the biggest crises is the crisis of undernutrition and hunger. The country has been plagued by one of the world's worst food crises, as I was saying. Almost 2 million children under the age of 5 are malnourished, including roughly 325,000 children every year who are at risk of life-threatening severe acute malnutrition. These children depend on life-saving therapeutic nutrition for their survival. Almost 1.2 million pregnant or breastfeeding mothers are also acutely malnourished. And in all this, there is of course the other threat of climate change, which poses a huge threat to any recovery efforts. Yemen constantly faces challenges of water scarcity, flooding, extreme weather conditions, and now also a threat of locusts. So in summary, in a conflict which is truly propagated by adults, children and their families are paying the heaviest price. And Dr. Varki, you talk a lot about how there are children, hundreds of thousands of children are starving. A lot of them are being recruited into the war that is currently engulfing Yemen. There are, there's homelessness, lack of, lack of education. And now, uh, apart from COVID-19, there are other resurgent diseases. So I'd like to ask you, what are some specific challenges that UNICEF and you yourself have had in delivering aid and responding to the needs of, this, of these children? 
So we do face a large number of challenges in Yemen. Uh, primarily, we face a huge funding challenge. Uh, it is because of the size of the crisis, uh, the needs are tremendously huge and we require every dollar to really uh, support the needs of children in all parts of the country. We continue to do our best in what is a very difficult operational environment and the advent of the COVID-19 outbreak has further complicated our uh, relief and uh, humanitarian response. We continue to stay and deliver for the children in Yemen and UNICEF with its partners has been engaged in providing water and sanitation services to millions of people, uh, providing life-saving care to thousands of malnourished children, keeping the systems such as the health systems and water supply systems from entirely collapsing, uh, providing support, especially child protection support for children in need. Uh, we also try to preserve the education system by providing support to teachers so they can continue educating children. We even try to reconstruct destroyed schools and keep schools running with equipment. Very importantly, this conflict has had a huge tragedy on families with increasing levels of poverty. And one of the challenges uh, families face with the rise in prices is the ability to maintain their day-to-day -day existence. They are challenged to access food, simple uh, health care is a challenge. The money to travel to a health center, the money for transport is difficult for many families. So we do support about 1.5 million vulnerable families across the country with unconditional cash transfers so that they can access the basics uh, of uh, for their survival. This we are also engaged now in an active COVID response to support the communities and families to protect themselves from the COVID-19 situation. All in all, the operational environment is a huge challenge. Funding uh, is uh, really a challenge and we are at the cliff and many of our life-saving services could be stopped if we don't receive urgent funding support. Um, so like you were saying, Dr. Varki, the necessity of funding in order to provide the programs and resources that UNICEF has is something that um, many international organizations struggle with. Um, what has been the international community's response to the Yemen crisis? And as you mentioned, there have been insufficient funds to deal with the crisis. But how has COVID-19 disrupted um, perhaps existing funding sources or uh, changed attention in terms of where you're receiving funding from or how you're distributing those resources? So our sole interest as UNICEF is to reach every child in need. And we have a range of committed donors who have been with the children of Yemen since the conflict escalated in 2015 
and we are incredibly grateful for their support. These donors have helped us in a myriad of ways, from supporting the construction of solar grids that run water systems for millions of people, to providing cash transfers to vulnerable families, to keeping some of the essential health systems and water and sanitation systems from collapsing entirely. It is true today though, that many of these donor countries who have long supported UNICEF and other UN partners and the humanitarian response in Yemen are now dealing with COVID crises in their own countries. And of course, understandably, their attention is focused on helping protect their own populations from what seems like possibly a never-ending pandemic. So we are facing a growing funding crisis. Our response in Yemen is in a precarious situation. And as I said, we would have to stop life-saving health services, life-saving nutrition services. We would have to stop supporting the supply of water to millions of families if we don't get the funding needed. This is really a devastating prospect in the middle of a pandemic. I'm sure you're aware that without water supply, many of our COVID-19 prevention interventions, which focus on hygiene, washing your hands with water and soap, would be meaningless without having water supply. When we speak about funding, the entire humanitarian response plan of the UN uh, and its partners is facing a shortfall of almost $1 billion. This money is important for the UN and its partners to reach over 20 million people with essential services and supplies. For UNICEF specifically, we are appealing for about US, 450, US dollar 452 million in order to help us reach children and families. We have currently received less than half of what we need. For COVID-19, we need an additional $100 million. This is to bring in the essential uh, personal protective equipment, ventilators, oxygen supply, oxygen equipment. But so far, our COVID appeal is only 40% funded. So we are appealing for urgent, sustained and unrestricted funds on a scale that is adequate to meet the needs. We really call upon the world not to forget the children in Yemen and really support the urgent funding needs for the humanitarian response in Yemen. So if, if it's not um, foreign direct investment from, from other countries due to a variety of reasons, then what other funding sources does UNICEF turn to? Do they turn to NGOs? Do they turn to the United Nations? And in turn, how has UNICEF have continued or adjusted existing programs, not only during the pandemic, but also during the uh, budget shortfall that UNICEF and Yemen as a whole has experienced over the last couple of months? So we are facing a huge crisis. Just to give you an example, an estimated 18 million people including about 10 million children, do not have access to safe water, sanitation, or hygiene in Yemen. 
and overall only one-third of Yemen's population is connected to a piped water network. So the supply of water is truly essential, whether it is for cholera prevention or for COVID prevention. And a gap in funding is really devastating. We've had disruptions in global supply chains due to the pandemic, which have posed a threat to vital vaccination campaigns. We've also had challenges in ensuring water supply consistently in about 15 urban locations. So we've had to prioritize. But even beyond that, the worry is that we would soon have to reduce our support to critical health services as well as critical water and sanitation services. We understand that in fighting COVID, we have to continue to respond to the ongoing needs of children. Because as COVID-19 spreads, these needs only grow, whether it is malnutrition, whether it is the increased risk of violence and exploitation, whether it is you know, the continuous reliance on the provision of safe water, sanitation and hygiene. And of course, the need for children to get back to learning in, in this situation. So yes, the systems are under strain and uh, we are doing everything we can to really adjust and adapt to this situation. But as I said, we are at a funding cliff and many of these services would simply stop if urgent support is not provided. We are reaching every corner of the country with our uh, partners, with a dedicated network of local partners, as well as a dedicated team of UNICEF staff. And we are delivering, really practicing all the COVID-19 prevention measures. It is a complex emergency made even more complex by COVID-19 but we have a dedicated team with the capacity and commitment to navigate all these challenges. And you just mentioned um, the COVID-19 prevention measures that we we have all been um, taking. And I wanted to, to ask you a little bit further about that because one of the challenges that faces those doing aid work in Yemen is of course the logistics of simply getting supplies to those who need it. So I'd like to know how has UNICEF dealt with these challenges, especially given the further travel restrictions created by the COVID-19 epidemic? So COVID is, the COVID-19 outbreak is not only affecting Yemen, it is really affecting the whole region. Uh, you know, this region is home to nearly 25 million children in need, including refugees and internally displaced. Uh, many of these children are uprooted and they're with their families, and there are conflicts in various countries in the region. And our big worry is that as a result of the disruption of healthcare services by COVID-19 and the other associated factors, an additional 51,000 children under the age of five might die in the Middle East and North Africa region by end of 2020. Out of these deaths, an estimated 6,600 additional deaths would occur in Yemen because of the disruption in primary care services. And in, all, in this situation, 
UNICEF is doing everything possible to support children and their families. So in Yemen, despite all the complexities, uh, we are providing water and sanitation services. We continue to provide services for malnourished children, and we are keeping the systems functioning by providing incentives to public sector workers, essential equipments and supplies. But on specifically on COVID, uh, there is a lot UNICEF, along with its partners, is trying to do. First, we are trying to suppress the community transmission of COVID-19. And this we are trying to do by helping protect the most vulnerable through an approach what we call as community shielding. We are also reaching tens of millions of people with vital information using multiple channels, uh, whether it is TV shows, uh, radio messages, and using the reach of social media in Yemen. We are also bringing in vital supplies to uh, address the COVID-19 situation. These include personal protective equipment, COVID testing kits, ventilators, clean water, hygiene kits, so that families can protect themselves as well. We are also supporting the health system so that they can continue to deliver both services for COVID-19, but also ensure continuity of the other important services for mothers and children. And this is incredibly important. Uh, the supplies of COVID-19 are critical. And, uh, you know, the supply lines uh, have been challenging. We use every possible means to bring supplies in by road, by ship, by air. And we also try to procure locally when possible in order to speed up our supply chains. We have been working with the EU uh, on a humanitarian air bridge as well as using the support of the UN Humanitarian Air Services to airlift supplies as well as bring in vital staff on the ground. So uh, we're doing everything we can in spite of the very difficult operational context as well as the funding challenges to support Yemen through the COVID-19 crisis. So we talked. you talked about the supply chain logistics um, the usage of various different types of transportation. And it sounds like that UNICEF has become very creative in terms of how it's getting the supplies and resources necessary to the people who need it. Um, a question that I had when we're talking about infrastructure um, is infrastructure also includes people. So I'm curious how UNICEF staff and how UNICEF's um, partner organizations or regional um like affiliates or partners have been dealing with the crisis and what, how your staff has adjusted its programs on the ground um, to these particular issues. So when it comes to programs, we've had to prioritize, but we have been consistent in our effort to ensure that life-saving services do continue. And it has not been easy. Uh, you know, Moving staff in and out of the country has been challenging. Uh, and what is even more important is, as per our duty of care, to ensure that our partners, our service providers, their staff are also protected. 
we have just concluded a payment cycle where we have delivered cash transfers to 1.5 million vulnerable families, which indirectly helped us reach almost 9 million Yemenis, which is one in every third Yemeni. And we provided this life-saving cash transfer, which helped them procure food, which helps them get access to healthcare and medicines. It is really life-saving. But all this has been possible through a network of private sector partners, as well as uh, our partners and other stakeholders. And it has been important to protect them as well as protect the people we serve using all the state-of-the-art interventions and help them protect themselves and, and their families and children. We have provided personal protective equipment. We have provided uh, sanitizers if required. Uh, we have made huge supplies of masks and have also advised on social distancing in order that in order uh, for the people we serve so that they may be protected from COVID-19. Uh, most importantly, we have really tried to sustain the social service systems so that they continue functioning. Lastly, I think messaging has been very important. There is a lot of stigma uh, about the disease. There are a lot of misconceptions and through our network of approaches, network of partners, and using various channels, we have reached out to families and communities to dispel some of the misconceptions, to help them understand how to protect themselves and their families. We've also conveyed messages on hygiene and uh, most importantly, have encouraged people to continue to access services in healthcare facilities for some of the other life-threatening diseases and complications. So this has been our overall approach. And Dr. Varki, to wrap us up here, um, how can our listeners support UNICEF and its work in Yemen? Because throughout the podcast, we've heard that hundreds of thousands of children are suffering from starvation um, from being recruited into the existing conflict from homelessness, from disease, from COVID-19. How can our listeners support UNICEF and, and its mission? So the situation in Yemen is truly tragic. And Yemen has been facing multiple crises. And the COVID-19 crisis is just another one adding to the adding to how dire the situation is. I would just like to share with you one of my past experiences when during a visit to an urban area in the capital Sana a few months ago, I was deeply saddened by the plight of a mother I had the chance of meeting. Her husband has had lost his job and with the little money they had, they had to make this terrible decision of whether to take their sick child to a hospital 
or to use the little money they have to buy food for the other children. I'm sure you agree that no parent should have to make this heart-wrenching decision. But the fact is, many families across Yemen are indeed making such terrible decisions. The politics, the war, the rhetoric coming from the ground is often hard to make sense for individuals and maybe your listeners. But it is important that every individual, every citizen of this world engages with the plight of children in Yemen. This is important because the situation calls for it. We really must appeal to the humanity in each and every one of us. And for your listeners, I would like to encourage them to continue to inform themselves and others of what is all too often a forgotten war in Yemen. Uh, there are many good resources on our website, unicef.org. And for those who have the interest and the means, we encourage them to support our life-saving work there. Importantly, we would also like to call upon your listeners to advocate with their leaders in whichever country they are to support the humanitarian response in Yemen with much needed resources. Finally, I would like to request your listeners to add their voice to the voice of Yemeni children, to the voice of UNICEF, as we call upon and appeal to the parties to the conflict to take some meaningful action for the sake of children in Yemen. We call upon parties to the conflict to abide by their obligations under the international humanitarian law to protect children unconditionally during this conflict. Children must never be a target. We call upon the parties to the conflict to allow unlimited access to UNICEF and its partners to deliver aid. But above all, we call the parties to the conflict to bring an end to the war for this generation and to the next. Children need an immediate political solution to end the war in Yemen. Peace is the only long-term solution. The children of Yemen today are truly at the brink. They really have no time. And I would really call upon your listeners uh, to really push for immediate action and to support us in this work for Yemeni children. Well, Dr. Barki, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you for helping us raise the cause of the Yemeni child. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to follow us on social media at Hopkins P-O-F-A on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the latest and greatest of Hopkins POFA content. Hit follow on Spotify, give us a subscribe on iTunes, and leave a rating. We'll see you next time.